Rodney Weaver standing back there just told me that if you're a, if you don't have kids and you tell dad jokes, you're a faux pas. So I thought I'd share that with you. He'll be here all week. You're welcome. Uh, hey, one of the joys of being a parent, uh, being a father, being a mother, is getting to force your kids to do things that they may not necessarily want to do. And so this morning, I am here to encourage you to force your high school age children and middle school age children to go to camp. Camp is and will be a life-changing experience for them. I know it was for me. And so I just want to give yet another plug for camp. If your uh, child is on the fence about whether or not to go, push them off the fence onto the go side. They will thank you for it later, I promise. Now, I want to take you back today almost as if we had a time machine to May 2008, a less rectangular Paul Huft graduated high school. And right after that, he attends a student life camp at Windermere here in Missouri. Now there, while at that camp, I experienced Jesus in a way that I never had before. And it completely changed the course of my life. And it was very soon after that camp that I submitted to the call of ministry because God had made it so abundantly clear to me that that is what he wanted me to do with my life. That event, however, took place after I had already been accepted and committed to go to Drury University to major in engineering. And I continued with that path. The problem was that God and I were at odds. You see, he had made it very, very clear to me that he wanted me to dedicate all of myself which included my education at this time in my life to the pursuit of ministry. Now, in my mind, the majority of pastors are bivocational. You've, it's, it's becoming more of an oddity these days to find a pastor who's full-time. And so I was still going to need to make a living, right? So why not be an engineer? They make a good living. I was hoping to uh, have my cake and eat it too, so to speak. But the problem was that I was still holding things back from God. And so this career in engineering was something that I dreamed of. It was something I had done research on. And I thought, this is the plan for me. I love math. I'm going to be a great engineer. I'll make money that is nice. And I will be a pastor and all will be well. The problem was, as I continued down that career path and continued to ignore what God had wanted for me, I began to really hate engineering. <laughs> Like it, I was just miserable. I didn't want to do it. And so it didn't take me too long to change my major. Well, maybe engineering's not it. I will change my major to mathematics, right? I love math. Math and I have always gotten along, as Forrest would say, like peas and carrots. And uh, things are going to be fantastic. I'll be a math major. There's still a lot of stuff I can do. I can make good money being a math major. I'll be a math major, right? I started to hate math. <laughs> Uh, which if you, but the problem is if you knew me then, that was like the complete opposite of who I was. I love math. I still love math to this day. The love for math has been reignited within me. I teach math uh, to special education students throughout the year. I absolutely adore it. I know that's a weird thing to adore, but that's just who I am. You're welcome. But I started to hate it. And so then I said, okay, fine. I will enter a career path of servitude, of service. So I switched my major to education. That didn't last too long either. Started to hate it, which I find very ironic because a few years ago, God had made it abundantly clear to me that he was calling me into education, 
Where I am bivocationally stationed today is what I will say. It's how I'll say it. I am a teacher. Now, the problem was it wasn't that I was choosing things that were without joy or in and of themselves bad. Those were good things, worthy pursuits of time. But the problem was I was choosing to do things that were opposite of God's will for my life at that time. You see, God wanted me to go in one direction, and I was very purposefully going in another When our wants battle God's wants, God's wants will win. If you can grasp that right now in your life, no matter how old you are, you are building yourself up for a successful future. When our wants battle God's wants, God's wants will win. Enter Jonah and giant fish whale thing, right? God's wants will win. But if we're stubborn and we're bullheaded, then God will let us lead ourselves into the destruction that it brings to be misaligned with him. As I've gotten older, I've realized that happiness is a result of aligning our wants with God's wants and focusing a lot less on circumstance and a lot more on our standing, our standing, our standing with God. A lot less about where we are right now in our life and a lot more about whether or not we are following the direction that God has laid out for us. And so today we are going to look at exactly that, aligning our wants with God's wants. We're going to be in Joshua. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 7. We're going to see that there was a man in Israel who screwed stuff up for everyone. And so we're going to look at how to avoid what he did and what we can learn from that situation. So we're in Joshua chapter seven. I'm gonna read one through six to start. It says, but the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, that's how I'm gonna say it, maybe Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. The Lord's anger burned against Israel. So there's these devoted things, right? The devoted things were what God had told the Israelites not to touch, not to keep, to either devote to him or to completely destroy. Those things were considered devoted things. If God called those things to be given to him, whether through some sort of offering and gift or destruction, those were the devoted things. Well, here's Achan who decides, I'm going to just take a few of these, right? Put them in my my rucksack. Nobody will notice. It'll be okay hide them under my tent, all will be well. And so it says that after that in verse two, now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel and told them, go and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all of the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or 3,000 men to take it and do not weary the whole army for only a few people live there. So about 3,000 went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear, and it became like water. And then verse 6 says, Then Joshua tore his clothes, I won't do that today, fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads, the ultimate sign of mourning and devastation. The problem that we see here is that the Israelites got a little too big for their britches, so to speak. You see, to this point in their conquest, they had experienced nothing but victory. 
And in fact, they just took down Jericho, which was a stronghold of strongholds. And so as the spies go and they spy out the land of Ai, they see this is nothing compared to Jericho. It's not even close. There's no reason to send the whole army. No reason to get everybody tired. Send 3,000 of us. We'll take care of them. We'll be back in a jiffy. In my mind, they're having like the best time wearing their Yahweh is my homeboy tunics, right? Some sort of leather sandal. I'm sure a few of them are rocking a really awesome mullet type thing. Everything to this point was just like business in the front and party in the back. We're going to go. We're going to enter the land. We're going to win. It's going to be fantastic. I cannot wait. They were listening to God's commands. They were aligning their wants with God's wants. And that was all until they weren't. That was all until they weren't. You see, there's never a more dangerous time for a Christian than on the backside of a victory. And I'm going to explain myself. There's never a more dangerous time for a Christian than on the backside of a victory. Because what happens is we start to feel good about ourselves. When I'm talking about a victory, I'm talking about a time where we have aligned ourselves. We are in alignment with God. We are following his will and we are experiencing the success and the happiness that comes with that alignment. And we start to feel really good about how things are going. Things have not been better. I can't remember a time when they've been better. Me and God are good. I just feel good. Everything's good. And then what happens is we just start throwing darts and hoping that they stick. And we forget that what got us to this place was being aligned with God. And we become easily misaligned because we think we can't lose. All I do is win, win, right? Until I'm not winning. And it's really easy to get ourselves in this spot if we lose track of what got us there. You see, God had been clear about his expectations. We're talking about the Israelites now. He was very clear about his expectations for the people. And Achan, just one person, yes, one family, but he screwed things up for everyone. What we learned from that is that disobedience breeds defeat. Disobedience breeds defeat. We take it back to my college situation. I was being disobedient. I was being disobedient. I was, I was still withholding things from God. I was holding onto those reins tightly. I had given almost everything else to God, but this, I still wanted to control it. And that disobedience breeded defeat in my life. I was miserable in everything that I tried. Again, not because they were bad things, but just because at that time in my life, they were not the godly thing to do because God had given me a clear focus and I had chosen to ignore it. And so unfortunately for the rest of the Israelites, they were unaware of what Achan had done because Achan had kept it secret, right? He wanted to keep some things for himself. He didn't want everybody else to know. And so unbeknownst to them, they send out their warriors and they are completely and utterly defeated. Victory seemed absolutely certain and yet they experienced defeat. Oftentimes, defeat comes at the guidance of God. Oftentimes, defeat comes at the guidance of God. Now, I share this story a lot because it's the one that sticks out to me the most. It's the one that had maybe one of the greatest impacts on my life. But I was a football player for the majority of my life leading up to my senior year in high school. You've all heard this story probably. If you haven't, first time for you. That's what my identity was. I broke my back, and that was taken away from me. 
Now, I didn't see it at first. At first, I was just miserable and angry and upset. I had plans to have football at least take me somewhere. I was going to play football. That's what I was going to do. But I was ignoring God completely in my life at that time. And that defeat that I experienced, although I did not realize it at first, like I said, I know now was at the guidance of God. And while it may not seem like something that's possible, breaking my back was one of the best things that ever happened to me. To this day, I look back on it, and when I'm not in pain still, (laughs) I think how blessed I truly was to have that situation occur to me. You see, sometimes hearing no or experiencing a loss is the beginning of a victory to come. I am living a life now that I could have never imagined at that time in my life when I was experiencing defeat. I have been blessed beyond my wildest imagination. Because for a long time, I forgot about the dream, the real dream that I had as a little boy. You know, when you're a little kid and people always ask, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you get firefighter, you get astronaut, you get athlete, you get some weird kid wants to be a librarian, right? You get all kinds of stuff. My dream was for something that I really hadn't had at that point. I wanted a strong family with a house in a neighborhood that had a white picket fence. That was legitimately my dream. When people would ask me at six, seven, eight years old, what do you want when you grow up? This is what I want because it's something that I didn't have. And I thought in my mind, that looks happy, right? When you see that on TV, you see that in movies, those people are happy. That was the dream I had from the time that I was a little boy, and I'm getting to live that dream out right now. I have a wonderful family. Two young girls who are cantankerous and smarter than me, which gets annoying a lot of the time, but they smile at you and you just melt. I tried to punish Winifred yesterday at my grandparents' house because she was not being nice to Cordelia. It's a common thing. And so I'm looking at her and I've got my arms on her shoulders and we're just talking eye to eye and I say, now Winifred, would you like if Cordelia treated you that way and she's staring right at me and she goes, no, and I died. I'm laughing. Jericho's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I can't help it. Father's Day is for the other people. I'm struggling, right? But I am living this life that I never imagined or knew was possible. I don't have a white picket fence, but I have like a vinyl beige one. It's nice. I mean, I didn't put it in. It was there when we bought the house, but I'm experiencing a life that I never would have experienced if I had continued to go down the course that I was choosing to go down. And so that defeat has led me to future victory that at the time I had no way of knowing was going to come. But God knows the plans that he has for me, just like he knows the plans that he has for you. And whether you know it or not, and whether or not you see it all the time, God does desire to prosper you. He does desire for good things to happen to you. And so sometimes experiencing a loss or hearing no is the beginning of a victory to come. And so rather than sulking in a moment like that, I challenge you instead to take the time to reflect. 
to take the time to reflect. See, Joshua and all the leaders, they were distraught. He tore his clothes. They covered their head in dirt. Again, at this time, the ultimate sign of being devastated, of being upset. And his feeling was, God has turned his back on me. And so we're going to look at Joshua 7, 10 through 12. The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. It's got an exclamation point. I love exclamation points. You ever get a message from me on Facebook or a text? It's probably going to have like six of them because they're a very powerful thing. Stand up. This is how I'm like hearing God say it. What are you thinking? Burger challenge. Never mind. That's inside joke. What are you doing? What are you doing down on your face? You ever get somebody to respond to you like that? You're kind of sulking around and like, hey, get up. What's wrong with you? What is wrong with you right now? You don't have anything to be pouting about. God's like, hey, why are you down on your face? It's time for you to reflect. Israel has sinned. It's not that I turned against you. It's that you turned against yourselves. They violated my covenant, which I have commanded them to keep. They've taken some of the devoted things they have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand up against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Very very powerful statement in this passage. You see, when you become misaligned with God, then you become liable to destruction. I wish we had like thunder sound effects right now. You become liable to destruction. So when something in our life fails, something that we are just sure was going to work, something that we were confident that would be successful, instead of sulking, instead of being angry, that is time to reflect. That becomes the time to reflect. Why wasn't my endeavor successful? Maybe there's a very logical reason for it, right? I was baking this cake. I forgot to put in baking soda. That's why it failed, right? Very logical reason. Was this my endeavor or was this God's endeavor? You ever been there? Undertake something and maybe you didn't include God in it too much and it failed. And so then you have to wonder to yourself, I felt like this was the right thing to do. I felt like this was the course of action, but maybe this isn't what God had wanted for me in the first place. Maybe this is just what I wanted. This is where I was leading, but God wasn't leading me there at all. Time to reflect. And if this is God's endeavor and it wasn't successful, then why? Sometimes God will call you to do something. And if you're a go-getter, like so many people in here are, you jump on it right away. And maybe God was putting it in your heart for a future time. Hey, this is what I'm laying before you. I'm trying to prepare you for this. This isn't for right now. This is for your future. It was a lot like that with me in education, right? I had started education from a much younger age, and that pursuit had failed. Was it because God would never lead me in that direction? No. It's just that he wasn't leading me there right then. So sometimes God is calling you to do something, but he may just not be calling you to do it right this second. And so God makes it very clear to Joshua. God honestly does the reflection for him. Hey, I'm going to tell you why this wasn't successful. It's because you have a thief among you. 
and he stole from me. And when you're at odds with me, then you are liable for destruction. And so you've got to get that fixed because you will not be able to stand against your enemies until you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. So we're going to stay in Joshua 7. We're going to jump ahead to 20 and 21. What happened was Joshua was going tribe by tribe, person by person, family by family. And he was just saying, basically interrogating folks. He's going to get to the bottom of it. And so here comes Achan and his family. And he says to him, Achan, tell me the truth. Tell me the truth. Did you do something wrong? And Achan replies in verse 20 and 21. Achan replied, it is true. I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and I took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. See, Achan got misaligned. He was so used to winning. Everything was going so well for him that he went outside God's will because he thought, no one's going to know. This isn't going to hurt anything. Everything else I'm doing is successful right now, so I'm just going to take this leap. And it brought destruction not just on his own head, but an entire nation. And this is, as this passage continues, it gets a little tough. It's one of those Old Testament passages where you get a little uncomfortable with because they are destroyed. His family and all of his belongings, they are burned. They are destroyed because of the destruction that they brought, because of the separation that they caused between the nation of Israel and God. They had to be removed. See, God desired one thing from Achan and from the nation, and he desired another. And in order for those Israelites to be successful, they all needed to want the same thing, which is what God wanted for them. Right? Go and obtain this land that I'm giving to you. What do we learn from this? And it's something that the Israelites should have long learned by this point because they continually did dumb things like this. We have to guard against missing out on God's blessing because our desire is to bless ourselves. I'm going to say that one more time. We have to guard against missing out on God's blessing because our desire is to bless ourselves. It's like we're on a stagecoach with God, right? And he's got the reins and we're traveling down the path that he's leading us. And all of a sudden off in the distance, we see something glittery, something shiny, something we want. It's a new car. It's a new house. It's a new spouse that rhymed. It's someone other than our spouse. Shame on you. It's whatever, fill in the blank. And we grab those reins and we yank hard and we go towards it. See, but what we didn't see between us and that point is the canyon. And horses don't stop on a dime. And the only thing that happens is that we lead ourselves into destruction. So how do we stop this? We have to change our view of success from doing 
and getting what we want to getting and doing what God wants for us and from us. That's how we avoid destruction, by aligning our wants with the wants of the Father. It's not only a statement of faith, it's a statement of trust. It's telling God that I know that you are here to prosper me. And it may not always be in the way that you think that you need. I wanted to be an engineer, not to change the world, not to do good, not to help others, because I was about that money. And I wanted to fill my bank up. And I wanted all the stuff. The fancy house and the super awesome boat and the lake house and the stuff made out of gold that has no reason to be made out of gold. That was my only concern is how can I make myself rich? Not how can I improve the world around me? God never wanted that for my life. Ever, not once. Pastor, I'm pretty well to do. Does that mean I'm not living according to God's will? Absolutely not. You know, God calls Christians to do all sorts of things. Some to be preachers, some to be teachers, some to be prophets. Some to work in insurance. Some to not have that much money and some to be rich. It takes all kinds to be the body of Christ. It's all about how we get where we get. How do we get where we get? If we've gotten to the place that we are in life because that's where God has led us, then we are rich and we are wealthy regardless of what any dollar amount may say. That, that is the relationship that we're to have with Christ. So change your idea in life of what success is and shave away the pieces of that description and that definition that aren't godly. Thank me later. Thank God right now. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now today. I thank you for the blessing that you are in all of our lives. I thank you, God, that you don't just put us here on this earth to let us flounder and falter, but God, you have a plan for each of us. And to experience the fullness of life, and to experience the fullness of every situation that we may come across and find ourselves in. God, we have to align ourselves with you. Our wants, our desires, the things that we think that we need, need to be what it is that you tell us to want and to desire and to need. Because scripture makes the principle clear that you are here for our good. You are here to make our lives better. Not to make us rich, not to make us happy all the time, but to make us perfect in our faith, which ultimately is the role that you want us to fulfill in this life. God, may we all desire 
to be aligned with you. May we all get to a place where we seek that role out above all else. Help us pick up our cross, choose second, and follow you wherever, and I do mean wherever that may lead us. Because in the end, God, happiness is not about our circumstance. See, that's temporary. That comes with the ebb and flow of life. But true happiness, ultimate content, comes from following your will and being in right standing with you. So today, God, my prayer for each and every one of us, including myself, is that you break us of any thing that we need to be broken of. Strip away the parts of our definition of happiness and success and restructure those so that they are in total 100% alignment with you. Receive the worship that we are about to give to you as an offering of praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to stand right here. And I'm going to be praying for you whether you come see me or not. But if you need to come pray about something specifically, please do so. Because I want to pray with you. If you want to just talk straight to God, the great news is you have that right. And our stage doubles as an altar. Be an encouragement to others. Stand strong in your faith. Stand with us now and let's worship. If you need to talk to me about having a relationship with Jesus because you don't, and you want to know what that entails, I encourage you to do so today. There is no, and I mean no, greater decision that can be made than to stand up and say, I'm going to follow Jesus. If you're interested in becoming a member of our church, then talk to me after service, and we'll talk to you about what that entails. Otherwise, whatever's occupying your mind right now, if it's not Jesus, let it go and give yourself over fully to him.